good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. You excited to be here? All right. If you weren't, we were going to do a cheer or something. No, we wouldn't do that. <laughs> Go, Bill. Oh, that we can do that cheer. That's fine. <laughs> we have some. We have some angry Giants fans up here this morning. So, hey, my name's Aaron. I am one of the pastors here at Bridgewater, and I am super excited to get to walk through God's Word uh, with you here today. We we do that every week for a reason. If uh, church is new for you or even the Bible is new for you, here, here's one of the things that we honestly believe. We believe that God's word really helps us in incredible ways. We believe that God made us and um, when you make something, it has a design, right? It has a purpose, it has a use and the Bible helps us understand our design and live in the way that that we were made. And so each week we go to the Bible. And if you're new here and you don't have a Bible of your own, good news, we have a bunch of them and we want you to have one. There's one out there. There's a bunch of them out there in the foyer. We will make sure and get you one because we want you to, we just want you to be able to experience it for yourself. And if you weren't here last week or if you were here last week and you wanted one of the on-track devotions because we ran out, like lots of people went and got them last week. If you were one of the people who didn't get them, I'm really sorry. That's my fault. We have a bunch this week. So go and grab them. They're back there and it will help you be able just to engage God's word on your own. Okay. All right. That's enough of my infomercials. You guys done? Just for three easy payments. Of, no, I'm kidding. There's, uh, there's, there's no payments involved. Okay. We are doing a, a teaching series called Reset focusing on the fact that um, as we enter into the new year, there are often things that we look at our, our lives and we go, man, that kind of needs to change. And over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about really where the power for change comes from. We've talked about the path for change. How do we get there? What does that look like? Um, last week, we talked about that and applying God's word. Today, we're going to talk about the most important change. But I have an important thing that I need to tell you, Okay. You guys ready? Everybody listening? It's very important. I need you to know something. I am an expert in hostage negotiation. Why are you laughing? I literally am an expert in hostage negotiation. Did you know that? I, I really am. That's, that's like a real deal. I have three kids. They were each toddlers. I've had to negotiate with them. I'm an expert in hostage negotiation. Have you ever tried to negotiate with a toddler? Yes? No? Any of you? If you've ever tried, yeah, every day. Oh, bless you. Okay. If you've ever tried to negotiate with a toddler, you understand hostage negotiation, right? You ask a toddler to do something. It could be very simple. Hey, could you take your bowl and put it in the sink? Oh, no, I can't do it, right? You know what I'm talking about. I'm not crazy, am I? Well, okay, maybe I am, but my house isn't the only one where that's the case, right? Okay, you, you understand what I'm saying. You ask a toddler to do something. You try to negotiate with the toddler. You talk about bedtime, 
And all of a sudden, like the, the 37 things that you've asked the toddler to do throughout the day that they just didn't have time to do, and now the one thing you want them to do is to go to bed, they're thinking, oh yeah, I gotta go pick up that. Oh wait, I gotta go clean up this. Oh wait, I need water with ice. Are you kidding me? You don't need water with ice. <laughs> Trying to get a, get a child, a toddler especially, to do something that you want them to do can be very difficult, wouldn't you agree? And here's why. I found that there's a reason. Here's why. They think that what they want is all that matters. You ever notice that? Like a toddler thinks, they, they honestly have it up here that what's in their brain is all there is. Like there, there couldn't be anything else in the world, except what's in their brain. In fact, I'd take it a step further. I'd, I'd say this. They actually believe, they actually believe it, that what they want is all that matters. Now, I'm sorry if you have a toddler sitting here today. I apologize. should have covered some ears or something. Or if you have toddlers and your toddlers are great, man, teach me the secret. Well, I don't have toddlers anymore and I won't have toddlers anymore, Lord, you know, but, but here's the deal. They actually believe this, you know, but the reality is as parents, if you've been a parent, as parents, we see the bigger picture. We see that there's bigger issues at play, and so we understand, hey, kids need to go to bed on time. We understand all of those things. Kids need to learn how to pick up their room. They need to actually go to school. They need to do all of those things. We see the bigger picture. Are you following me so far? And I think sometimes we are not too different than toddlers when it comes to change. We're not too different than toddlers when it comes to even God kind of putting his finger on some changes in our lives. All we can see is what we want. All we can see, in fact, I would tell you, all we can really see is our current situation. And that's what we want to change. We see our situation and we pray about it and we want that to change. That's all we can see is our situation, right? But what if God had something else in mind? What if when it comes to change, rather than just God changing our situation, what if God wanted to actually change our heart? What if God wanted to step in and change your heart, my heart, change something about what's going on in our lives. What if, what if we could step back and realize that, hey, maybe actually God sees the bigger picture. God sees what's going on and he's allowed the situations that he's allowed in your life because he's actually trying to work on your heart. Hmm. That's interesting. Maybe there could be a a bigger change at work. The interest, you know what's interesting? The interesting thing is that the scriptures tell us that, that our hearts are really kind of broken and messed up. Jeremiah, a, a prophet from 2,800 years ago, wrote to the nation of Israel and warning them. And apparently there was this 
common theme back then, even 2,800 years ago, that, hey, just listen to your heart and follow your heart. But Jeremiah warned, and he said, listen, the heart is desperately wicked. Even our hearts can want bad things. Things that will hurt you. Things that will hurt other people. And so he said, who can know the heart? So, so the whole point is that you know, God is interested in actually changing our hearts. See, here's, here's the big idea that we're going to focus on today. I honestly think that the most important change that any of us could ever make is this. The most important change is moving from what do I want What do I want? What do I need? What do I want to see change to what does God want? And I know as we've entered into this new year, there are things that you're seeing that you want to change, and that's great, and I I want to rejoice in that with you, but I want to ask you to consider asking a bigger question, not just what do you want, not just what do you want for your relationships, Not just what do you want for your home, for your children, what do you want for your finances, not just questions like that, but what if we considered asking a bigger question and we started asking, what does God want? Because if we started to ask that question, what does God want, I think we'd start to see that he wants to change our hearts. And out of that would flow all kinds of good things that would change our situations. Now, the hard thing is, if you're anything like me, I often approach a question like this, like, what does God want? Like, I kind of look at it and I go, well, I don't know. Can, can we have a moment of honesty for a minute? Anybody ever felt like that? I felt like that. What does God want? God, what do you, what do you want from me? What do you want in my life? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to be? How do you want me to live? There have been plenty of times that I've approached this question and I haven't had a lot of clarity. Like, God, what do you want? And here's the good news. I want to walk you through a passage today that makes it very plain. Honestly. Like some people come to Jesus in this passage and they say, hey, help us understand what the most important thing that God has ever said is. Help us understand what the most important thing that we should be doing is. In other words, they're essentially asking this question, what does God want? And I want to walk you through it so that we can have clarity. Right here, right now, as we're entering into 2023, what God wants for you and for me. The passage that we're going to look at today, primarily, we'll look at a couple of them, but the passage that we're primarily going to look at today is Matthew 22, okay? So if you have your Bible, you can open up there. If you want to use it on your phone, you can look along. Otherwise, I'll have it right here, and you can follow along, okay? In Matthew 22, there's a number of things that happen before this passage, but one of the things that happens is that Jesus got into a conversation with, with a group of religious leaders. They called them Sadducees. You want to hear my silly dad joke slash pastor joke? The, Sa- the Sadducees didn't believe in life after death, so they were sad, you see. I'm sorry. I thought I'd break it up. That was really bad, I know. Okay. The Sadducees were just a group of religious leaders. They were, they were known for studying the scriptures, okay? 
Jesus got into a conversation with them, and he pointed out some kind of errors in their thinking. Well, these religious leaders in that day, they were very prominent, and they were highly respected. And so if somebody pointed out something that you were wrong in, you probably would have felt like, oh, man, now people aren't going to respect me as much. That was happening over and over in Jesus' day. So there was another group called the Pharisees, and they didn't want to lose their, their places of respect. They didn't want to lose their places where everybody would pay attention to them, so they tried to trip Jesus up. That's what happens in this text in Matthew 22. Why don't you look at it with me, starting in verse 34. It says this, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees, there's this other group, they got together, and one of them, an expert in the law. In other words, he had, this is a guy who had dedicated his life to studying what we would call the first five books of the Old Testament. Okay? We call it, there, there's, a, there's a word, if you ever hear this word, it's the Pentateuch. It just means the first five books, the five books of the law. Okay? It's the idea, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And in that, God gave insight to the nation of Israel of what his design was, but then also how they could live in a right relationship with him. This guy had dedicated his life to studying that. And he comes up with this question. He came up with a question designed to test Jesus. And here's what the question was. Verse 36 says this. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Here's how he was trying to trick him. If Jesus, you know, just throws out a command, and basically says, this is the one and only one, then essentially they would, have, they would have had them in this place where they could have said, oh, you're denying all the rest of it? They're trying to trip him up. But Jesus comes with an answer that summarizes all, not only of the law, but all of the Old Testament. Okay? The Bible is divided into two parts. You have an Old Testament and a New Testament. Jesus essentially summarizes all of the Old Testament, so much so that in verse 40, okay, I'm going to jump ahead, look at this verse with me, verse 40, look at what it says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So whatever his answer is, all of the Old Testament, that law and prophets refer to all of the Old Testament, whatever Jesus' answer is, you can summarize the Old Testament with this. That's kind of a big deal. Because have you ever read the Old Testament and been confused? <laughs> yep. So this is a big deal. Whatever Jesus' answer is here really matters. So let me share with you what his answer is. Remember the question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Essentially, what is most important? Verse 37 and 38, Jesus responds. Here's what it says. Says Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Those are all encompassing phrases. All of your heart, what you long for, what you desire, what you go after, with your soul, right? Soul's this thing that we, it's kind of hard for us to describe, but the essence is like, what do we long to be linked to forever? Is it God? 
and with all of your mind. What do we give our mind to? What do we pay attention to? What do we think on? What are we passionate about? He says, love him with all of that. This is the first and greatest commandment. What is he saying? He's saying very simply, love God. Love God. If you thought today was going to be some like incredibly complex talk, I want, I want to give you something simple. I, I, want, I want to make this plain. If you will love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, you will be able to live and go do whatever you want. Because what you will want is to please him. It's that simple. It really is. But then he goes on in verse 39, and he says this, and he follows it up, and this is where it's like, oh, that's fun. Here we go. Verse 39 says this. It says, and the second is like it. The second goes right with it. You can't get rid of the other, or one or the other. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that sounds really, really good as long as I like my neighbor. It sounds really, really good until my neighbor has, has his, you know, five dogs in my yard pooping everywhere. It sounds really, really good until my neighbor, you know, is, is a jerk, right? And he's not just talking about your physical neighbor. He's talking about love the people that you come in proximity with. You do life with, you work with, uh-oh, my boss <laughs> that's a lot of fun. You mean my coworker who's always late and I end up having to do her work all the time? You mean love my family member that always causes problems at the family gatherings? As yourself? Yeah. He says it's simple. I'm going to summarize the Old Testament for you. Love God. And second, love others. It's simple. So when we wrestle with the question of what does God want, this is it. This is the answer. He wants you to love him. He wants you to know him and to be close with him, to be intimate with him. He wants you to rest in him and trust him, to rest in his character. But he also wants that to impact, it should change our hearts so that we interact with other people, even Bills fans, even Giants fans. Definitely not Bengals fans. Okay, even Bengals fans, even Chiefs fans. Like he interacts with us. Now here's the thing. I want to just take a minute and break down these two ideas with you, okay? And here's where we're going to bounce off into some other passages. So let, let, let's look at the first one to Talk about how we can live this out. Because those seem like big, kind of like out there ideas. Okay, cool, Aaron, you're telling us to love God. That's great. I kind of love God. Got that. Let me just give you some insight into that. So when it comes to loving God, I want to walk you through a passage. I'm not going to put it up here because I'm just going to read it to you. If you want to follow along, I'm going to look at Luke chapter 8, okay? It's, a, you know, it's the third book of, of the New Testament, Luke chapter 8. And I'm going to read to you just a couple of verses here. 
In this, we find a really great illustration, honestly, of what it looks like to love God, okay? Here's what it says. Luke chapter 8, I'm in Luke chapter 9, no wonder that didn't sound right. Here we go, starting in verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her, she came up behind and she touched him in the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? And Jesus said, Jesus asked. And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. And then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling, fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. This woman, she knew that there was a problem. She ran to Jesus. She had had this problem for 12 years, and finally when she touched Jesus, she touched the cloak, it changed everything. And that changed her life. Now, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but some people, you know, some people talk about this woman, that this woman might be a woman who shows up later in Scripture, and so that's why I read that to you. Later in Scripture, Jesus is having a meal at, at a man named Simon's house, and while he's at Simon's house, they're sitting down, and Simon was very, very rich, had tons of money, great meal, and in walks a woman who was uninvited. She walks in, she falls before Jesus' feet, she's bawling, crying. She starts cleaning Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. And Jesus is sitting there and lets her do it. And everybody is looking at Jesus like, why would he allow this woman? Is this the same woman? I don't know. But, but why would he allow this woman to touch him if he knew who she was and how she had been unclean? He wouldn't let her touch him. So Jesus stops everything and he says, Simon, listen up. Who, who will love more? You have one person, take for example, hypothetical, somebody who's, who's been forgiven a little bit and then somebody who's been forgiven greatly. Which one will love more? It's the one who's been forgiven greatly. The one who knows and sees and understands who they are and what they've done and where they've been and then they've experienced the forgiveness of God and God says to them, go, your sins are forgiven, you're cleansed, you're healed. Which one is gonna love more? The one who, who thinks he really has a, just a little bit to be cleansed or the one who has a lot to be cleansed? Simon answered, he said, the one who has been forgiven greatly. And Jesus took the woman and he stood up with her and he said, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. 
Here's my point. That woman, when she understood who God was and when she experienced the love of God, it resulted in her pouring everything out. She took everything she had. She went and she poured it out on Jesus. I wonder. Is that what love looks like for us? Do we understand? Do we understand how great God is and what he's done for you and me? In fact, let me back up and ask one more question. Has there been a point for you where you've said, yes, I need God's forgiveness? I want to tell you good news, friends. Just like we talked about the summary of the Old Testament, man, if I could sum up the the New Testament, Jesus came for sinners like me and like you. And when we understand that, when we understand who he is, then it causes us to begin to love him. This woman reacted the way she did because of forgiveness. And so I wonder, have you trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? If so, then here's the reality. If you're going to love God, here's what it will look like. People who know how much they've been forgiven can't get enough of God. Nor can they give back enough to God. This woman came, she gave everything. Why? Because she'd been forgiven. Do you understand what God has done for you? If so, lean into it. I realize, we'll talk about this in a bit, but I realize there's so many things that we could get distracted by, but please don't get distracted. Do not forget who God is and what he did for you. He came for you, you alone. This is what it looks like to love God. Second, what about loving others? Well, let me walk you through another passage. In Luke chapter 15, a little bit later, after what I read to you, uh, Jesus is teaching his followers, okay, about what he values and what it looks like to follow him. And he says this, starting in verse 4. Put this one up here. He says, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? What does it look like to care about other people? Jesus is giving an illustration of that. Shepherd has 100 sheep. He starts counting, gets everybody together. He starts counting and realizes he's only got 99. Mabel's missing. Now, why he named it Mabel, I don't know. But, but Mabel's gone. You know, and I could just imagine the shepherd, Mabel, come on, where are you? Yes, get it? Uh, thank you. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was bad. But that was really bad. Okay. So he decides to go After the one sheep. It would be easy to say, you know what, I have the 99. I'm good with that. That's 99%. But for Jesus, that's not what it looks like to love others. Jesus says, we are going to pursue the one that's lost. He goes on. It says this in verse 5, and when he finds it, he puts it on his shoulders, and he goes home. Now, here's the thing. 
I get a, I can, I can understand a, a shepherd. I grew up, you know, raising, raising cattle. If we lost a cow, we would search and search and search. Uh, you, re, you wonder why I got so strong. We used to put the cows on my shoulders to, no, I'm joking. We didn't do that, okay. I can, I can understand a shepherd doing this, right? For some reason, most of us, we don't see God that way. We don't think that God would chase after us in the muck and mess of all of our lives. We think he points his finger and looks down at us, which means we think that shepherds are more compassionate than God, which means we think that shepherds or ranchers are more godly than God. But that's not true. God chases after me in my mess. God comes after me when I've failed him over and over and over. And he picks me up and he takes me home. That's how he loves others. And as I read this text, there's some incredible things that come out. In fact, verse 6, look. He finds it, puts it on his shoulders, and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together, and he says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And then then he ends the, the whole text by saying this, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. What's the point of it all? God is looking for hurting and broken people who need grace. If Christians are going to love others, that should be us. You know what I ask myself when I read this passage? What would have happened if the 99 would have jumped in and started helping look? Now I get it, they're sheep. Okay, so the, the imagery breaks down. But I just wonder if we put it into terms for today, what would happen if this group of people would say, you know what, because we love God and we know how good he is and we realize what he's done for us and we need to fall at his feet and and rain down tears on his feet and clean his feet because we know that and because we know what he's offered us, forgiveness. What if we got up and embraced being part of the fold, and we were one of the 99, and we started helping, looking for others who don't yet know him. Wow. Something tells me that that's what it looks like to actually love others. To care enough about their eternity to pursue. What if the 99 helped find the one? So what does it look like to love others? Here's what I think. People who love others help point people to Jesus. So, let me wrap this up. We've been talking about change and and seeing change. So let me ask you a question. If you could only change one thing this year, what would it be? What would it be? Because the scripture tells us something that we, it talks to us about what we put our energy and our time and our money into, and we put so much energy and time and money into change 
But the scripture tells us in, in, in Luke chapter 12, verse 34, it says this. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, I can probably tell you what you value based on where you put your time, your money, and your efforts. And you could tell me too what I value. So I just wonder, what would happen if we flipped the script and we stopped asking, well, what do we want? And we started asking, what does God want? What if we treasured what God treasures most? What if we treasured loving God and loving others? What if we built our lives around that? What would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. There'd be a whole lot of broken people who here who were just crying out to Jesus. And you'd be seeing people. We'd keep seeing people turn to Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, that'd be exciting. So I have two questions for you to end. Question number one. This is a question I'm asking myself right now. And it's, I, I'm, I'm honestly, it's taken some work. So I hope you'll take some time. What do you need to remove so that you can love others and love, love God and love others better. Here, here's what I mean. If any of you have been over to my house, you know I have, we have a shed on our property and when we moved in, we, we put all kinds of stuff all over and we were remodeling some areas of the house and everything went in the shed, so much so that the shed was like packed and then I'd think, oh, I need that tool. Oh, it's in the shed. Do you know where every tool that I need in my, is in my shed? All the way in the back. And I can't get there because there's too many things in the way. That's the same way with a lot of our distractions. What do you need to pick up and physically get out of the way so you can get to where you actually need to go? Is it how you're using your spare time? Is it what you're doing with, with money? Is it your hobbies? Is it what, what is it? What needs to get out of the way? And I just wonder if you'd put it down and work on it, what would happen? Number two, what do I need to add so that I can love God and love others better? And here's what you're going to get as you leave today. We're going to hand these out at the door. Some of you may already have them, but these are what we call, I like to call them pi-squared cards, okay? That sounds weird, I know, but I, it helps me remember. What it is, it's pray, invest, invite. I just wonder if you and I would start praying for three people, investing in them, spending time with them, and inviting them here. I wonder who in your family, who of your friends, who of your coworkers, who in your neighborhood would show up and trust Jesus because God's doing something here. I just wonder what might happen. Would you take this and do it? Pray for them. Invest in them and invite them. What would happen if we started to value what God wanted more than what we wanted? Here's what I tell you. Here's what I believe would actually happen. We would live within the design that we were made to have. And honestly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, well, following God is not always easy. It does lead to joy. And the thing that you would find is you would find great joy. I want you to have joy joy. Let's pray. Father God, please help us to obey you. Please help us to, to recognize that we can't just go and say, I'm going to follow my heart. We have to realize that, that our hearts can, can de be deceiving and desperately wicked. 
And so God, right now I pray over us that I ask you to invite, or I invite you into changing our hearts. Please, please come and change our hearts, God. We need you. We need to be changed. Thank you for giving us clarity on what you want. You want us to love you and to love others. And that if we could, we could engage in that, if we would understand that, then we wouldn't live lives filled with bitterness or unforgiveness. We wouldn't live lives of complacency or even jealousy. God, we would live lives that are pleasing to you in the way that they were designed to be. Please help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.